power of channel. IBM has the blue channel. At IBM, I could write, you know, uh, shit on a, you know, technology on a brick of, of crap, throw it through the blue channel, and I probably sold $4 million in, you know, technology <laughs> shit bricks. And so when I got to this company and I thought, oh, it was so easy because I'd done all this success with IBM, I've done all these things, I very quickly, it was a very humbling experience, learned, you know, well, you, you didn't really, right? I mean, there's the marketing of a big company like that and the channel and there's a sales force and there's a this and it's like yeah. there's an ecosystem that you're a small part of a much larger ecosystem. Welcome to 14 Minutes of SaaS, the show where you can listen to the stories and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scale-ups. Proud to present part one of an eight-part series with Will Hurley, better known as Whirly today. His incredible life story is a series of quantum leaps culminating in his present vision to accelerate the evolution of quantum computing. He's building a layer or an interface in the cloud with the startup Strangeworks, which permits coders in our present world of classical or standard computers to access these machines stored at temperatures below that of outer space. And the real space race in this world, ladies and gentlemen, is indeed quantum computing. He's an IBM master inventor, an Eisenhower fellow, and has founded and sold two successful startups. Chaotic Moon to Accenture and Honest Dollar to Goldman Sachs, where he was managing director for a time. Hi, Whirly. Uh, it's wonderful to have you with us. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. Cool. Uh, so we're here on 40 Minutes of SaaS and we're in Tech Open Air, or TOA, in Berlin. Has it been a valuable and a fun experience for you? Oh yeah, it's been great. It's my first time at uh, TOA and I was impressed with a lot of things, but one of the things that got me most was the size. Um, you know, uh, over all of the events, there's 20,000 people, and uh, I don't think I expected it to be that big. I think there, you said uh, like 9,000 or so in the main event where we yeah. met, and uh, uh, I was a little bit taken aback by the line. I showed up a. My normal showing up right close to when I go on the stage time, and I was like, I'm not going to be able to get in. <laughs> you know, it was a little bit of a moment of panic there because I couldn't believe how many people there were. It was uh, uh, really impressive. I liked that it's by the river. I'm a big fan, being from Austin, of the food trucks. So I was, those are you know super popular where I'm from. So uh, you know, it felt uh, like a, a kind of like a South by Southwest vibe. So I felt very at home uh, in the environment and in the community and had a lot of great conversations. Me too, me too, I really loved it. Uh, can you tell us about your life um, up to, I suppose, uh, you entering the working world and maybe some of the formative influences? Yeah, I, um, you know, I grew up actually in Nuremberg here in Germany. I was a military brat and uh, my brother was born here. And so, uh, we, you know, moved from here to the States, uh, and I grew up pretty much in Texas. We lived in San Antonio, and then we lived in uh, uh, Temple, which is a little bit outside of Fort Hood, which is, a, again, a big military base. And, you know, uh, you know influences on me, uh, you know, I grew up in a, a military family, so there's a lot of military influence. Um, I grew up with a, a very inventive father, so there was a lot of do-it-yourself, figure-it-out-yourself kind of mentality, which is amazing. 
um, you know, a very hardworking mother, right? So a lot of, a lot of structure and a lot of, you know, kind of like figuring problems out on your own without any references, and then a lot of, um, of, of great work ethic. Uh, but the biggest influence uh, became, uh, you know, skateboarding and music, which was kind of the anti of, of all of that. Um, you know, and I was very big into skateboarding and longboarding. I was very big into music. And my goal was I was going to be a professional musician. That was, that was what I had decided. Um, and uh, I was uh, in a bad car accident in 1991, and the band, you know, didn't make it through the accident. Uh, they didn't die, but they, the band, that sounds horrible the way I just phrased that, but the band, <laughs> the band nobody died, but I was in a freak accident, and, and uh, I spent a lot of time in the hospital and recovering, and um, that was very influential, the biggest influence in my life, because uh, having a near-death experience gives you a new uh, outlook on life. It gives you a new perspective, which is that, you know, you have no idea you know, when you could die, and so you want to make the most of every day that you can. And uh, I used the insurance money from the settlement to build a studio in my grandmother's uh, extra room, uh, a bedroom that I stayed in, and um, uh, learned how to program around that. I had done some computing in school. Uh, my uh, computer teacher in sixth grade told my parents uh, that they, uh, even in the future, even a cash register at McDonald's would be a computer, and your son will probably not be able to get a job at McDonald's. Because <laughs> um, I was always experimenting and playing around. And he was a PhD, and he was very structured, so you do the lessons. And I was always very far outside of the box, which turns out nowadays is what we encourage kids, right? So, um, so the, the, the irony there. But, um, you know, those were kind of, that was kind of it up until you know, uh, I went to work at Apple, and that's because, you know, Apple was kind of my, my real first real job yeah. uh, in the tech industry, and I had been scoring um, these soundtracks for different CDs and things, uh, and Master Tracks and Macromind and all of these old programs uh, using the scripting language called Lingo, and there were all these tricks you could have. Ah, I used to use Lingo. That landed me in a, in a support role uh, with a friend of mine, Graham Jones, in uh, you know, in Apple, uh, answering the phones. Thanks for calling Apple. This is William. How can I help you? So <laughs> it was very, uh, but that was kind of my, you know, kind of the abridged version and in, up into uh, cool. you know, kind of entering the workforce at Apple there. And uh, after R&D in Apple, you became a master inventor in IBM. Um, how important was that uh, in uh, your development as a professional and what did you invent? So I'm still not, uh, you know, that's a great question. I'm still not uh, quite uh, the professional, but um, I had worked at Apple answering the phones about six months later. Um, a really good friend of mine uh, now, not necessarily then, he'll probably listen to this and hate that, uh, Sebastian Hausinger and Mike Irwin, who's my current investment partner. We have a new, you know, my new fund, Ecliptic Capital, is, is Mike and I, right? So we've worked together since 1993 or so. Um, but we, uh, they were in the DRC, which was the Direct Response Center, which was on the second floor of the building we were in, and that was all the Unix gods and uh -huh. the Perl, you know, developers. It was amazing, and I really wanted to work there. And Sebastian got the job that I had applied for, and then Sebastian and Mike were kind of, uh, yeah. So I worked at the phone center uh, on the third floor for six or seven months, 
And then I applied for a job in training. I created a thing called the Apple Interactive Training System, which was um, using lingo and the internet, I would build non-perishable CDs. So this support tool information library that was 48 CDs, and then you could replace them with one, right? So I got the job in training, and those guys were you know, constantly not wanting to hang out with me at that time. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, but we're great friends now. Um, and then uh, I wrote uh, my first book while I was in training on Shockwave, if you remember that. Cause I you do, said you yeah. Lingo. Yeah, I did, so uh, internet, did a master's internet, in multimedia systems. So the so. internet world, uh, macromedia, yeah. um, you know, internet world's 60-minute uh, guide to Shockwave. <laughs> um, and uh, I decided I was making some money speaking and making some money on books. And, you know, now it was, you know, I was a big shit. Because um, when we're young, we all go through that phase, and, and if you mature, then you grow out of it very quickly, and you realize you're never uh, that important in the grand scheme of things. And so, um, but I was going to quit, and I got the chance to apply for a job in R&D. And so the, the biggest part of my career, you know, to answer your question about the, the master inventor thing, yeah. is the actual time right before that, which is... I have a high school education, I have no formal college, I have no formal computer training. So starting at answering the phones at Apple, going into training and kind of more of a, a little bit of a leadership role, and then going into R&D, which I was basically the test bitch, right? I did <laughs> testing and verification, I was, and, uh, and you know, they were all far too smart to deal with me. Um, but those were, that was really formative for my That's career. Cool. And because it was R&D, then I had the opportunity to go to work at IBM where they bought a company called Tivoli Systems. So I actually entered into IBM because of the experience I had at that point as a principal engineer, uh, which is not something you do with a high school education, right? No, so no. those years really drove my career incredibly far, incredibly fast, um, and were some of the best years of my career. I mean, I, I have very fond memories of uh, you know um, all my R&D teammates getting on me about everything. You know, you <laughs> learn very quickly, <laughs> working with much older, much smarter people. And so uh, w when I was a principal engineer, I joined what was called the Internet Business Unit. Uh -huh. And we were developing system management tools for the Internet. Okay, and this is pre, you know, SAS days and things and, you know, old enterprise days, so 97, you know, sure. uh, yeah, yeah. around. And so then uh, I had done some patents, and IBM has patent plateaus. And so I did a fourth plat four plateaus, I believe. So okay. I think four patents in each plateau, if I remember correctly. Cool. So I'd done uh, 12 patents that were uh, similar, and some of them had made money, meaning they had been licensed nice. or, or integrated. And so with all of that and a few other things, then you can be given this master inventor title, which inside IBM is a, a, an, an honor, I'm sure, still today. And it was great. And I'm, I am honored. I don't mean to belittle it with what I'm about to say. But, you know, outside <laughs> it means, you know, I built some IP and I protected the IP and I made IBM a lot of money. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is also what led to me leaving IBM in uh, 2000 because I was like, wait a second, why should I make them all this money? You know, like I'm so, again, you know, young and dumb and so smart. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. going to go make the money myself. Uh, and, and you and you became a, a CTO of a bunch of companies after that. Yeah, you know, which what were your but highlights but amongst I, all of that? Well, the highlights, you know, the first company was a, a company called Hirestorm. Um, it uh, did not work out, but I learned a lesson because I learned that I learned the power of channel. IBM has the blue channel. So at, uh, at Apple, I learned to work with these technologies. You know, I worked on the set-top box project and the FireWire mm -hmm. standard and things like that. 
remember these technologies, you know, that may never see the light of day that were far advanced over anything anybody had. I mean, it was TiVo, you know, way before there was a TiVo. Um, so the thing is, at IBM, I could write, you know, uh, shit on a, you know, technology on a brick of, of crap throw it through the blue channel and I probably sold four million dollars in you know technology <laughs> shit bricks. And so when I got to this company and I thought, oh it was so easy because I'd done all this success with IBM, I've done all these things, I very quickly, it was a very humbling experience, learned, you know, well you, you didn't really, right? I mean, there's the marketing of a big company like that and the channel and there's a sales force and there's a this and it's like yeah. there's an ecosystem that you're a small part of a much larger ecosystem. And so that was a very tough lesson. Um, and then I was uh, you know, the CTO of a few other things. And then in 2006, I went to work for a company in Tel Aviv called Clusters, although everybody in the U.S. called it Q-Lusters constantly. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> and uh, and um, that led to me doing some pretty interesting open source work, which led to uh, Tom Bishop, who was the CTO at Tivoli Systems. He's an old Bell Labs guy, and he was a CTO at BMC hiring me uh, to do open source um, strategy for BMC. Ah. And that was not a CTO role, but that was a really, really important, very developmental role. And I'd worked with Tom at, C at Tivoli and with slash for Tom at uh, Symbiot, which was a startup Mike and I had done in the security space. And then now I was working for Tom at BMC, and then eventually in my last company before this, uh, Honest Dollar, Tom was the CTO and working for me. So it was a very, <laughs> we've had quite a lot of experience together. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. uh, he's one of the greatest minds, I think, in, in tech. He's a very, very brilliant guy and an amazing friend and mentor. But, um, but you know, they had all these different uh, CTO roles. Um, none of them um, prepared me for what for jumping at the window, yeah. For what, I, for what I really am, for what I for what I really should be, should be doing, and that is uh, actually being what I am, which is not a CTO. I, I'm good with technology. I'm very quick to adapt it. I'm, I can I can build it myself. I can market. I can do a bunch of stuff in, in the tech space. But I, you know, and I don't like the terms like innovator or, mm. or, or uh, you know, what I mean, everybody's creative. Um, some people don't embrace it, some people don't explore it, but we sure. all are innovators, right, in my, in my view of the world. It's a, it's a um, generous view. But I'm an entrepreneur. Part two, Whirly's whirlwind career as a serial entrepreneur really takes off as he loses the fear and gains financial independence. But then he goes through a psychological slump before emerging to invent retirement as a service. You've been listening to 14 Minutes of SaaS. Thanks to Mike Quill for his creativity and problem solving skills and to Katsu for the music. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins. If you enjoy the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe to the series, and give the show a rating. Music